Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into Bama's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. We're glad to have you. This is Kerry Clark with BamaMag.com and Scott.com, your co-host, along with producer Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, back in the proverbial studio, and we will be joined soon, we think, we hope, we're pretty sure, by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. So we got all parts of the state covered because I'm in from Hoover, and uh, we just came off of a shutout victory, uh, 34 to nothing over Louisiana Monroe. I guess you could call it a revenge match if you want to go all the way back to 2007. To me, it was just another football game where a lot of guys got to play, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. And a game where hopefully kicker Adam Griffith got his confidence back, and a game where hopefully once and for all Jake Coker established himself as a starting quarterback at the University of Alabama, as I've always thought he was until the first quarter of the Ole Miss game, but apparently uh, it's been restored to that, and he's getting the ones reps and doing pretty well from what I understand in practice this week. But this week is a huge challenge. The number eight Georgia Bulldogs await. Alabama goes in number 13. Alabama goes in the underdog for the first time in 72 games. The last time was the uh, SEC title game where Alabama – took Tebow out in 2009 and advanced to win the first of Nick Saban's three national championships in Tuscaloosa. So, uh, 2.30 Central Time, 3.30 Eastern in Athens this Saturday. Uh, CBS will televise the joy of Vernon Gary awaits Bama fans that don't go to the game. That's a pretty good incentive to go to the game right there. But regardless, uh, Georgia's going to be a uh, a big challenge, and it's a game that going to set the tone for the remainder of the uh, 2015 season. And, you know, if Alabama loses this game, there's a very, very small chance that they'd be able to get to Atlanta for anything other than the Peach Bowl at 11 a.m. on New Year's Eve. We're joined now by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville, our third member of this uh you can either look at it as Stooges or Triumvirate. I prefer the latter. Drew, how are you doing tonight? You're saying he can't hear. He's gonna have to, I'm going to probably have to chase down a gremlin. Okay, well, uh, Lucky me. talking. <laughs> we will uh, we will go ahead and give you the uh, participation chart for Alabama for the game against La Monroe. The starters on offense, Cam Robinson, Ross Pierce Parker, Ryan Kelly, Alphonse Taylor, uh, Dom Jackson, O.J. Howard, Jake Coker, Derek Henry, Ardary Stewart, Calvin Ridley, and Richard Mullaney. On defense, Jonathan Allen, uh, who is back healthy, by the way, after he came to the sideline with his arm on a swing uh, in the second half. He's been practicing all week and should be good to go Saturday. Uh, A'shaun Robinson started along with uh, Jaron Reed, Denzel Duvall, had a sack. 
Minka Fitzpatrick played well again. Reggie Raglan, Reuben Foster, he played well too. Cyrus Jones having a solid senior year. Marlon Humphrey, Eddie Jackson. You know, Matias Smith got him an interception. And off the bench, the tide went with a lot of guys, so bear with me here. Uh, Chris Black, Lonnie Harrison, Bradley Sylvie, Chris Miller, Dalen Charlotte, Lonnie Clark, Alex Harrelson, who is doing a good job filling in at long snapper for the suspended Cole Mazza, by the way. Hootie Jones, Cam Sims, Tony Brown, Deshaun Hand had, had another sack. He's really, really having a good year. Deron Payne, J.K. Scott, Kenyon Drake, Cooper Bateman as holder and quarterback. Uh, Sean Dion Hamilton, Mo Smith, Ryan Anderson, Dylan Lee, Sean Burgess Becker, Anthony Averett, uh, Rashawn Evans, he got him a sack. Derek Gore, Damian Harris, Keith Holcomb, Michael Nyswander got the second career touchdown on the play that I called from the press box. My entire row heard me say, watch for the Dawson foul throw out to the flat to Nyswander. And there it was, touchdown. I mean, the very play that I said it would happen. Dalvin Thomason, uh, Mr. Lala can start calling him Batman because he's batting down a lot of passes. Tim Williams, he got a sack. That was good to see. D.J. Petway, Brandon Green, Dallas Warmack, uh, J.C. Hassenauer, Josh Frazier, Bradley Bozen, Corin Curvin, Derek Keith, Ty Fornoy-Smith, Hale Hempkiss has seen a lot of time at, at the tight end and H-back. Parker Barrino, O.J. Smith on the D-line, Dakota Ball uh, has turned into a really good blocking tight end. Darren Lake and Adam Griffith, whose confidence appeared to return in a good way. Uh, do we have Drew yet? I think okay. he's here. He said he could hear us. Might be. His I name. got you guys. Okay. okay. Oh, good. Yeah, Drew, just kind of reviewing the participation chart. It was a game where Alabama got to play a lot of guys, and that's always good for team morale. And uh, it looked like to me that Adam Griffith started to get his confidence back, Drew. Yeah, a little bit. I hope so. I think they're going to need him in Athens. Um, you know, he was good from 35, uh, good from 40 yards, uh, did a really good job kicking off, got four touchbacks, got great hang time and length on his kickoffs. Uh, I thought he was, uh, you know, I, and again, uh, I thought that was two straight games, you know, that he's been a plus. Uh, you know, he made a short field goal despite a bad snap and hold, uh, you know, the week before against Ole Miss, did a good job on the onside kick. Uh, did a good job kicking off. So hopefully Adam Griffith has uh, turned the corner. You know, both kicks looked really good coming off his leg Saturday and uh, like real good height and accuracy. So, uh, again, they're going to need him. Uh, and uh, It would be a perfect time for him to turn the corner, uh, hopefully for the rest of his career, really, because he does have another year left. But we will see uh, because it's going to be a tight game in Athens, I think, if Alabama has any shot. And, uh, you know, we're going to have William Barger on here in about five minutes and, uh, I think this team's ready, and, uh, you know, I hope they're locked in. If they're locked in, they can, uh, you know, there's a lot of people doubting Alabama, and I think it's going to be a motivation for uh, our guys. I've been asked today, is Georgia overconfident? I don't think they're overconfident. I think they're hungry to beat Alabama, uh, but I think Alabama's hopefully hungry, and that's the thing. I want to see how hungry this team is. Are they hungry enough uh, to stay in this race and prove to the rest of college football that they, that they can bounce back? Or is this going to be 2010? I guess we're going to find out. Exactly. And uh, it's always good for team morale when you can play 65 guys in the game, even if it is a La Monroe. Some of the guys that, that you know, leave the sweat and blood out on the practice field but hardly ever get to see the turf at Bryant-Denny. In games like that, they do get to see it. And that, that's not that's good for their morale. And even for the guys that, that play most of the time, they were able to get a break when those other guys came in. 
and then it gives them something to cheer on their teammates about while they're out there competing. And I don't care if it's La Monroe, Charleston Southern, Middle Tennessee, UT Chattanooga, Southern Miss, whatever. If you're out there on the field competing for the University of Alabama, you know, you can tell your grandkids about that. Just some of these names I called out, I'm just really happy they got a chance to play. Uh, I can tell you with almost no shadow of a doubt they won't be playing 65 guys this week. Uh, You can hardly travel with about 70 to an SEC game, but uh, it was good for morale. It was good to see that. It was great to see the nice wander touchdown. As I said, I called it. Uh, But even Jake Coker, when he was talking to the media, uh, for the six and a half minutes we got him, which was uh, in and of itself a pleasant surprise, he was talking about the fact that that nice wander uh, is one of those guys everybody likes, and he goes out there and does the little things. And uh, I think Mike Nice Wander is very glad today, Drew, that he took the opportunity that was presented to him to accept the scholarship and come back for his fifth and final year because I think he was all but prepared to go out into the business world until that offer came. Well, yeah, you know I think he had considered it. Uh... He'd been grinding as a walk-on uh, tight end for a long time, and uh, he, uh, he, you know, and again, it's tough when you're a walk-on. You know, he he had been he dressed for a lot of games. He'd appeared in a few games. We all remember uh, the, the play last year when he caught his first touchdown. It was the exact same call, and uh, you know, I, I'm hoping. I told Wes Neighbors this tonight when I was subbing for him. He uh, he spent part of he, he you know the first for the program on the drive, and uh, I subbed for him for uh, the, the last hour. Uh, and I, I, I told him before he left, I said, look, uh, they need to get nice wander and more involved in this offense. Uh, of course, he can catch the football, but they need to put him in front of Derrick Henry. He's a team guy. He doesn't mind giving his body up. He's a willing blocker, much like Kelly Johnson before him, uh, who, uh, who uh, was, uh, of course, a key cog in the uh, 2012 championship and was a walk-on. And uh, he was a guy that earned a lot of respect and earned a lot of playing time. And I think, uh, you know, I think I've always thought Derrick Henry would do better with a fullback in front of him. Uh, They need to run more from the eye uh, because uh, I heard him reference it in the Louisiana Monroe game, Matt Stinscombe. And I think if Alabama is going to win this game, I think Derrick Henry needs to touch it 25 times running the football. Could not agree more. And, Another guy who could play some role this week, we don't know just yet, but he took reps this week now that he's finally eligible after serving suspension. He took some reps at running back and even a few reps at, at H-back. Uh, I wonder, Drew, and I guess we're only speculating now, but I wonder what, if any, role Bo Scarborough could play this Saturday. Well, you know, today he practiced some at H-back. Uh, you know, he, I think they've, they've wanted to use him as a receiver. He has a myriad of skills. He can run the football and – uh, I, I don't know if he'll play a big role. Uh, you know, our next guest is on the line. We can ask him, but I do think he will play in the game. I've heard a lot of people saying, well, Coach Saban won't play a true freshman in his first ever game in a game like this. Well, I don't think that Bo Scarborough is a regular freshman. No. And I, and I think also Robert Foster's injury could play a, a, a key role. They need to find playmakers. Our Darius Stewart's kind of his own guy, kind of likes to freelance. Uh, you can't count on him. Chris Black's been dropping the ball. So they've got to find some playmakers in Athens, no question about it. But I know we've got our uh, first guest on the uh, hotline, our Big Head Barbecue hotline, and uh, we are honored once again to be joined by a great friend of mine, uh, 1992 national champion, former Alabama offensive lineman and noted insider, William Redfish Barger. William, how are you? I'm doing great, Drew. How about you guys? Doing well, man. And uh, we were just talking about Bo Scarborough, as I'm sure you've heard, and 
you've always been high on Bo Cephas uh, since he was uh, coming up as a freshman at Northridge High School. He's fought through injuries, William, to both knees, to his shoulder. But it, the, the talent has never been in question for Bo. Uh, I saw him uh, on the sidelines uh, this past Saturday against Louisiana Monroe. He looks great physically. I know he's been practicing. If it wasn't for the suspension, we, we all thought he might have uh, been able to contribute against the Ole Miss Rebels. But what are your thoughts on what role Bo could play Saturday against uh, the Georgia Bulldogs between the hedges? Well, you know, the, the plan, you know, prior to the suspension was to, to kind of put Bo on a pitch count um, for the Louisiana Monroe game. And this was really going to be the Georgia game was going to be the, you know, the, the, the breakout game, so to speak, whether he actually broke out or not. Um, you know, from, from talking to a couple of people about an hour ago that are real close to the program, um, he is going to have a role. Um you know, I cannot confirm whether or not he's going to get any touches at running back in this game, but I do feel pretty confident that he's going to have a role um, in the passing game, whether it's at H-back, probably the safe bet is at slot wide receiver. And, you know, I think the one of the most intriguing things about him as a player is, is when you start looking at his, 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 excuse me, at his gene pool. Um, you know, he's a distant cousin of Reuben Foster's. Um, he's a first cousin of Alabama basketball player Jimmy uh, Taylor. And they've got another cousin whose name escapes me right now that was signed to a Major League Baseball contract straight out of high school. So, you know, th- this is just an off-the-charts athletic gene pool that, that Bo and all of them come from. Um, you know, he has had some problems, you know, with, with knee injuries. Um, you know, two torn ACLs. He he, he played in the Under Armour All-American game, um, you know, in January of 2000 and, well, was that 14 or 15? Uh, I can't remember. Whatever the Under Armour game was that he played, he was two two weeks last removed. Last year, William, he played last yeah. year. He was two weeks removed from a torn meniscus in that game um, and performed at a high level and probably – did more damage as a wide receiver than he did as a running back. So, you know, this is a kid, despite maybe having, you know, a bad body that's injury prone, um, that bounces back every time from it. Um, you know, the, the ultimate plan for, for him from the staff, um, you know, before the knee injury took place um, was to have, you know, Derrick Henry and Kenyon Drake kind of be the, the thunder and lightning approach, um, you know, at running back. You know, it's no secret that going into this season that Derrick Henry did not really enjoy contact. That's one of the, the, the aspects of his game that I think he's improved the most on um, is he does lower his shoulder and, and become a physical back, especially when he gets into the open field. But but they were really counting on Bo to kind of be that, that closer, that, that finishing back that came in the latter part of the third quarter, early part of the fourth quarter, when defenses were gassed, like you saw Old Miss, you know, in the Old Miss game, and you put him in fresh, and you know, because that's one of the reasons why he's been so injury prone in the past is he does not avoid contact; he seeks it out. He'd much rather run over you than run around you. Uh, but he's a hundred percent. There's no issues um, with the the most recent surgically repaired knee. And uh, you know, I think that uh, hopefully we won't have any Georgia fans listening to this, but. Uh, 
I don't think it's any secret that the coaching staff does have a um, a package for him. Um, I don't know how many touches that's going to be. I think that's going to be a you know a thing that's dictated by the the flow of the game. Which you know if you start looking at it, um, you know the weather forecast for Saturday afternoon in Athens is going to be you know eighty percent chance of rain. Um, probably by the second half the temperatures are going to dip down into the, the upper 50s, which makes for a slick football. Um, you know, there's a lot of different storylines, um, you know, going into this game. Alabama wrapped up their last physical practice today. You know, tomorrow's just a walkthrough in shorts and T-shirts. Um, but from talking to, you know, a couple of my best sources that are close to the team about an hour ago, um, I think you're going to see an Alabama team that's feels like their backs are up against the wall. And if they want to get to where they thought their goals were back in August, they're going to have to come out and they're going to have to perform Saturday afternoon at 2.30 Central Time. And before Kerry asked you, uh, William, I wanted to clarify for the listeners, when I said last year, it wasn't this past year's, but it was Leonard Fournette's. Uh, in other words, it was Leonard Fournette's Under Armour game. It was last year, not this yeah, past. January, uh, January of 14 is what I thought yeah, it was. It was, it, was yeah. 10, it was January of 14, and as William was referencing, a well-known recruiting analyst who was there all week at every practice said Bo Scarborough was every bit the equal of Leonard Fournette and was the best wide receiver there and maybe the best running back as well. Well, and, and, yeah, and to, the, the, you know, to piggyback on that, uh, Drew, I've got a really good friend of mine that's a well-known high school coach that's coached, um, you know, a position coach in the Under Armour game going all the way back to uh, Kim Dietschy and Carl Lawson's senior years, which I guess would have been 13. Um, you know, basically told me the same thing that you just said about the recruiting analyst. Um, he said, you know, gun to my head, who do you want me to take? Um, between Leonard Fournette and Bo Scarborough, he said, you know, it's close, but gun to my head, I'm going to go with Scarborough because I feel like he's more versatile, that he can play multiple positions. And, you know, Fournette is a, you know, just a downhill running back. Well, I hope we're not to the point where we're playing 6'2", 235 guys at wide receiver. But uh, I want to ask you this, William. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about – Alabama's offense uh, needing to find an identity. Kind of a two-point question. Um, First of all, what exactly does that mean? And secondly, is this Alabama team anywhere near doing that? You know, Kerry, I think you saw what this identity needs to be um, in the opening game versus Wisconsin. Um, I I, I wish I could give you an intelligent response about what went into – uh, Trot and Cooper Bateman out there as the starter versus Old Miss. I think that was probably the the critical decision in that game that, that, you know, aside from the five turnovers that led to, you know, that game being a loss on the win-loss column. Um, you know, as a former offensive lineman, I can tell you, when, when you've got multiple quarterbacks, you know, coming into the huddle, I went through this in, in 1991 with Jay Barker and Danny Woodson. Um, you know, each quarterback has, you know, a specific cadence that they, you know, are good at. Their voice inflection is different. Um, and, and that, that wreaks havoc on the offensive line when, when you're having to deal with that, um, you know, in, in practice and in games. You just can't get into a groove. 
Um, the communication suffers. And I think that, you know, maybe um, whether the job was won at the time or not, um, you saw Jacob Toker take the majority of the reps until the game got out of the hand in, in the fourth quarter versus Wisconsin. You know, I think from, from speaking to multiple people close to the team, um, I, I feel like that Coker had basically won that job in everybody's eyes except for Lane Kiffin. And, you know, I think there's been some dissension as a result of dragging that thing out um, as long as it has. Um, you know, whether or not Coker absolutely won the locker room over, um, you know, in the Wisconsin game, he certainly did it coming off the bench um, in that gutsy performance that he had against Old Miss. And, you know, go back to, to the game last week versus Louisiana Monroe. Uh, I think Jack Coker, you know, performed pretty damn well. Um, you know, you, you look at all the drops that he had, um, you know, for all the people that are, you know, screaming, wondering why Chris Black doesn't play more than he does. I think you maybe saw Saturday why he doesn't, uh, you know, dropping a routine pass to hit him in the face mask. You know, those those type of mistakes are easily explainable when you're looking at a true freshman like Calvin Ridley. Um, he's getting his first taste of, of SEC football as a true freshman. But for somebody that's, you know, been in the program for four years like Chris Black, it's not. Um, to, 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 you know, I guess I tackle the second part of that question, um, you know, I think there are some dynamics on the coaching staff right now that, you know, do we go West Coast? Do we go ground and pound? Um, you know, what is the direction that, that we want to take this football team in offensively? And, you know, I think the answer is pretty crystal clear. You know, you just you devise a scheme around what Jacob Coker is comfortable with. Um, you give them all the first-team reps. That gets the offensive line comfortable. Um, you know, it gets the skill players comfortable, and they know what to expect. And I think this game um, is going to be kind of the – the Waterloo moment for, you know, the 2015 Alabama football team from a player standpoint, but, but also as, as Lane Kiffin is the offensive coordinator and the play caller. You know, they've got to be able to replicate that Wisconsin game plan. And, you know, they're going to be doing it in a hostile environment. Um, you know, there's some other things that I think play into Alabama's favor, aside from the fact that the game's going to be on the road. Uh, we can get into that later, you know, in, in the show with some other questions and comments. But, you know, this game, I think, sets up very well for Alabama. Um, you know, Georgia's going to have to deal with, a, with a, a level of increased competition they haven't seen so far this year. You know, Alabama's already faced that hurdle with what they saw offensively and defensively from Ole Miss. Um, Georgia hasn't, you know, jumped that hurdle just yet. So, um, I think, you know, there, there's multiple facets of this game that, that kind of fascinate me. Um, you know, Georgia's sitting there undefeated, Alabama with one loss. Uh, both offenses are, are in the gutter as far as, you know, third down conversions are concerned. I think Alabama's, you know, 98th. I think Georgia's 90th. So, um, I think maybe the offense that gets into a rhythm that can move the chains and can improve on that third down conversion rate that, that they've been so abysmal at up until this game, that, that might be the key indicator 
um, you know, Saturday night at seven, seven thirty when when the final whistle blows as to who wins this football game. And William, obviously you're a guy that watches the trenches very closely. Georgia's OL is not the biggest in the world, but they're athletic. Uh, they, a lot of people think they have the best offensive line in the SEC and, and one of the best in America. They obviously have Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, Keith Marshall. Uh, they're very talented in the backfield. What is your thoughts about how they match up with Alabama? Alabama's front seven, I thought, the last two weeks, especially last week, really started taking steps forward and really getting play from a lot of people, including Deshaun Hand, who is really coming on as a pass rusher. Uh, and it will be needed with John Allen uh, playing, but likely not being 100%. How do you see that matchup unfolding? It's really fascinating because it's strength against strength. Well, first of all, John Allen's going to be a, a game-time decision. Um, they're still not 100% sure how much he's going to be able to go. Um, they've already tagged DJ Petway. Um, if he's not gotcha. able to get his normal reps, DJ's going to step in and get those reps for him. Um, you know, I, if you watch the film, uh, George is very heavy-handed, you know, at running behind John Theus and, and Jeb Belazevich, their 245-pound tight end. Um, I don't agree with, with the premise that they've got one of the best offensive lines in the country. They can prove me wrong Saturday at 245. Um, but I just think that, that that level of competition that they've seen so far, is going to be so much increased when they have to deal with that front seven. And when Alabama goes into their heavy package, which they're going to play a lot of this weekend, um, they're not going to let, you know, Brian Schottenheimer nick chub them to death for 50, you know, 50 rushes. They're going to stack that box. You're going to have Reuben Foster and, and uh, Reggie Ragland lined up behind the best defensive line in college football versus the run. And, you know, they're going to dare Grayson Lambert to prove that that completion percentage that he's put up the last couple of games can hold up, uh, you know, versus a team that doesn't necessarily have the best sack total in the SEC or in college football. But when you watch the last two games with the batted balls, and I think the thing that Bo Davis has brought to the table this year is, you know, guys, guess what? We don't have the time. We don't have the players. Nobody has the players to sack the quarterback when they're taking a three-step drop and the ball's getting out of their hands, you know, in 1.5 seconds and throwing quick slants and, you know, back shoulder throws that, that, you know, the receivers are going to a spot. But, you know, when you see those batted balls and you see the way that they're able to get to the quarterback, um, I just I, I question whether or not Georgia's offensive line can hold up to that. Um, you know, I had a conversation on the other side of the ball back during the summer um, with Georgia's defensive coordinator Jeremy Pruitt, and you know he's taken the opposite approach of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart with the way he's constructed this Georgia defense. Um, and I think this is a big indicator and, and a key point for the game. Um, you know, Jeremy's built that defense to stop spread offenses, hurry up, no huddle spread offenses. Um, you know, look at what he did last year to Gus Malzahn with, with a run threat at quarterback in Nick Marshall. Um, you know, held him to seven points and the lowest offensive production um, that they had had under Gus Malzahn prior to this season, obviously. But go back and look at what a very mediocre 
Florida team under Will Muschamp did last year in the rushing yards that they put up on that, that front seven. Um, it's not very deep. It's not very big. You know, when you look at Jordan Jenkins and Lorenzo Carter, you know, they are threats to rush the passer off, considering that one of them's 250 and the other one's 260. Um, they're really not guys that can hold up for four quarters, you know, to a Cam Robinson, Dominic Jackson ground-and-pound rushing attack, and there's not a lot of depth behind them. So, you know, those are some of the things that really jump off the page to me about this matchup this weekend. Well, we all know it's been a while since you played, but when you did play, you played with two very unique place kickers. One of them might as well have been a linebacker, William, uh, which I'm talking about, Phil Doyle. But the other guy, uh, you might see him walking up and down the strip in Tuscaloosa with various forms of cigarettes in his mouth. Uh, but <laughs> one thing those two guys, one thing, William, that those two guys had in common was they had confidence. They felt like when they went out on the field, and I'm talking Philip Doyle and Michael Proctor, that the ball was going between the uprights. I have not seen that in Alabama's kicker in the last year and a half, but I thought perhaps I saw a glimmer of it this past Saturday because whatever changes in his plant foot that Griffith made, it, it appeared that his confidence might be returning, and I, I just feel like that could be very huge one way or the other this Saturday. Yeah, you know, I think we talked about this back during uh, fall camp, Kerry, about, you know, there was going to be a couple games this season where, you know, Alabama might need that three to six to nine points out of their field goal kicker. And, you know, certainly it's been an issue, um, you know, going all the way back, really, to be honest, the 2011 LSU game at Bryant-Denny Stadium, you know, back during the Cade Foster era. But, you know, it's it's funny that you brought that up because – you know, Philip Doyle was, was basically a linebacker that was an elite field goal kicker. I mean, he, you know, I can remember Coach Stallings and at the time our special teams coach, Amos Jones, you know, over and over and over, hey, your job's to kick off and, and to make field goals. Quit running down the, the field after you kick it on kickoffs and trying to be the wedge buster. Um, you know, Proctor, on the other hand, was the prototypical um, you know, field goal kicker. He, he was out there to kick it, and that's all he really wanted to do. He want, he didn't want to get his nose dirty. Um, you know, certainly Griffin is is more along those lines. Um, you know, I wish I knew the nuances about that position um, to, to shed more light on his struggles, um, you know, over the last 18 months. But, you know, they're real. Um, I, I can't, you know, uh, maybe maybe his lower back problem, um, has been undersold. Um, I've got a bad lower back now myself and can certainly relate. You know, when it flares up, you know, it, it cripples you and it changes your lifestyle. But I, I agree with you. I do think this is a game where, you know, we need Adam Griffin to go over there and perform like he did versus Louisiana Monroe, you know, versus Wisconsin and Ole Miss. I mean, you know, you can't afford to leave points on the field like that um, you know, on the road, you know, in, in the, you know, the starting again of the meat of the schedule um, of the SEC, he goes over there and misses, you know, two field goals. That could be the difference in the ball game. And, William, I wanted to ask you of something defensively that I think had happened in this game. And, you know, I talked to another well-respected 
voice of Alabama football, Travis Ryer, Monday, and we were talking about this, and I know you're very high on this young guy. Uh, but, you know, Dylan Lee has not played well as a senior at Sam Linebacker, and uh, uh, a lot of the key to this game, in my opinion, is being physical and setting the edge. Obviously, the coaching staff trusts Denzel Duvall. Uh, they want him to start at Jack Linebacker. But what about uh, Ryan Anderson in this game? Do you think there's a chance they could put him at Sam on the other side and uh, and, use, and use him to help set the edge and be physical? Because, again, Dylan Lee has not played physical this year, has not made plays, and I just really believe Ryan Anderson could bring a nastiness to this game. And you could get him on the field with a guy like Denzel Duvall, who's very experienced. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a great, you know, topic of conversation Drew. this is a perfect game um you know and i think we could all say the same thing about what you're saying about dylan lee this year um about denzel duvall in the last three years um you know as far as making plays i think denzel duvall had his best football game this past saturday that he's had in his career um certainly since the, the the national championship game in 2012 versus notre dame you know, he's basically a defensive end playing jack linebacker. He, he's great at the point of attack. He's great at setting the edge. But, you know, he's not a guy that you want out there, and he's not going to have to face that versus Grayson Lambert. But, you know, he's not a guy that you want out there in space, you know, facing a Nick Marshall or, or a Johnny Manziel um, where he has to make a decision um, whether to hold that edge or to, or to try and plant the quarterback. But I totally agree with you. Um, about Ryan Anderson, and he's one of the main reasons um, that, that I have a, a lot of uh, lofty expectations for 2016 with this front seven, despite the losses potentially of, of an A'shaun Robinson, a Jonathan Allen, and a, and a Jaron Reed. Um, you know, he is a guy that I think is, you know, got the physicality of a defensive end, but he plays well in space. He's worked very hard at his get off at being a pass rusher. When you, when you see him get the, the you know the limited reps that he gets, I think he equates and equals out very well to to a guy like DJ Petway. Um, they get very limited reps week after week, but in those limited reps, they make things happen. They disrupt plays. Uh, you know, Ryan is a high motor guy. Um, it would not surprise me to see on the first defensive play. Um, you know, especially when they if they go heavy, which they're going to do, um, to see Denzel Duvall at one side and Ryan Anderson at the other. You know, Dylan Lee is a, a light-bodied guy. He's only about 240. Ryan's 270. So um, great question, great observation. And, and I hope that, uh, you know, Tosh LaPoy and Kirby Smart and Bo Davis agree with both of us. We have a question uh, from our chat room, William, uh, and that is what's up with the right side of the offensive line and do we expect that to pick up? Well, you know, again, I I have been, you know, this is, you know, me being totally honest. I've been a little bit disappointed, um, you know, in the play of the offensive line this year. Now, I think there's – we touched on this when we first started talking – there's a lot of contributing factors to that. You know, the, the multiple quarterbacks, you know, the flip-flopping from one week to the next and the, the lack of offensive identity and where the play calling is gone. Um, 
you know, this is just my opinion, but but the weak link right now in that starting five is at right guard at Alphonse Taylor. Um, it, it's almost like watching a metamorphosis take place of, of Leon Brown graduate and, and Alphonse Taylor assuming that role from last year. Um, I wish I could shed some light um, to why Alphonse Taylor beat out Bradley Bozeman. Um, I would love to have somebody on the coaching staff answer that question to me um, because that was supposed to be the cornerstone of this offensive line, you know, and you've seen this kind of play out, you know, in the 8A game versus Wisconsin, um, you know, Ole Miss, you know, Dominic Jackson is never going to be a guy um, that wins, you know, 80% of his reps in pass pro, but what he brings to the table is a road grader run blocking outweighs that. And I agree with that approach. You know, you play him at right tackle of what he brings to the table as a run blocker. But I've yet to see anything from, from Alphonse Taylor to justify him, you know, after four regular season games going into this game this weekend as the continued starter at right guard. I think that's a, a no-brainer. It should be Bradley Bozeman. Um, but, you know, you've got growing pains all across that front five. Um, you know, Ross Pierce Bacher is a first-year starter. You know, go back to the old Miss game and, and look at the, the struggles that, that Ryan Kelly and really that whole interior had, you know, at trying to match up with Robert Kimdichie. You know, the good news is that that, that interior is not going to see another 300-pound monster that runs a four five forty from here on out. So, that's the good news. Um, but, you know, there's been communication issues. Um, it, it's it's something that I hope gets cleaned up and, um, you know, shows what that potential is this weekend. Because there's some very talented guys, um, I think, along that offensive line. But, you know, guys, at the end of the day, I think, for all the people that have been screaming and yelling about the offensive line, you still have to put this into perspective. Um, you know, if the 2012 O-line was the, the the watermark, so to speak, the benchmark for Alabama offensive lines in the last 20 years, you know, you had two first-round draft picks and Warmack and D.J. Fluker. Um, you had, and I don't think he should have been, but you had the most decorated offensive lineman probably since Chris Samuels and Dwight Stevenson and John Hanna with, with Barrett Jones. Um, the only guy that's on that front five right now that's going to be a first-round draft pick is Cameron Robinson. So the, the talent level is still tailed off. Um, I still think it's going to be 2016 before you see anything that approaches that level of play. But I think this game coming up is is the, the chance for that group to really prove themselves um, you know, when I've got Georgia's defensive coordinator telling me at a golf outing in June that that's his biggest concern, um, that, that he doesn't have the, the depth nor the size to hold up to four quarters of a ground-and-pound attack from Alabama, uh, trust me, Lane Kiffin already knows this. Um, you know, whether he utilizes that information and implements an offensive game plan to utilize that, that's up to Lane Kiffin, not me. Um, but, but that's what we were talking about before, you know, how Jeremy's built that, that defense over there. 
it wasn't the stop what he's going to see this Saturday. It's to stop the Texas A&M's, the Auburn's, um, you know, the, those spread hurry-up style attacks. You know, if Lane Kiffin, you know, you know, it might even be that, you know, Nick Saban sends out a memo and says, hey, these are the, the 25 plays that you call for four quarters on Saturday. If that memo gets sent and that memo gets absorbed, it may not even be an issue. I don't think that they have the, the physical guys. Their front seven is the complete opposite of what Alabama's front seven is on defense. They don't have, you know, from, from end to end, an Sean Robinson, a Deron Payne, um, a Jaron Reed. It's, it's more guys that are built like Deshaun Hand, Rashawn Evans, Tim Williams, those types. Kind of a follow-up to that, William, and I, I, I hope you'll consider this as, as a fun question to answer since Jeremy Pruitt is a friend of yours. But based on what you know and based on what you just said, if you're Alabama and you're putting together a game plan for this Saturday, an offensive game plan, knowing what you know about the Georgia defense, Jeremy and his tendencies, what what would be your plan of attack, William? Uh, Terry, I'll be honest with you, and, and I don't know if – I know you and Drew will be able to follow me on this, but I don't know if the listeners will. Um, you saw it versus Wisconsin. Uh, you saw it, I think, once or twice versus Ole Miss, and I certainly saw it twice, um, you know, versus uh, Louisiana Monroe. Uh, you know, certainly on the, the Nyswanger touchdown. And y'all even touched on it, you know, being in the media and being able to go to practice and seeing Bo Scarborough work at H-back. Uh, Jake Coker fakes the handoff in the bootleg to the left. He rolls out to the right. You've got Bo Scarborough releasing from the H-back position. At the next level, 10 yards down the field, you've got O.J. Howard. 10 yards behind him, you've got Calvin Ridley flooding the right side of the field. I would run that play till hell freezes over because I don't think they can stop it. And that's that's, and that's, that's not even that, that's not even including the fact that if all three are covered on a certain play, that Jay Coker can tuck the ball and pick up fifteen or twenty yards running the football. Go yeah, to jump it to Henry in the flat. Yes, he could. I mean, he uh, and that's what we were all surprised at against Ole Miss that the backs weren't more involved in the passing game. And I'm hoping that Lane Kiffin is you – know, I know I, I was told today that he apologized to Derrick Henry after the Ole Miss game for not getting him the ball more. Well, you know, you have, you have to learn from your mistakes. And hopefully Lane Kiffin has, and they'll put together a running back-centric uh, game plan. I was I had the privilege of interviewing Gene Stallings today on the drive, and uh, I asked him what his game plan would be. And he just – I mean – it's like he's channeling William Barger right now. He said he would bootleg quite a bit, uh, give him a couple of reads, and then he would he would and then he would involve the backs. It would involve the game plan would heavily involve the backs. Well, I hate to coach Stallings lie to you, Drake. So I'm gonna tell you what his game plan would be. Hey, brother, we're gonna run toss 48, punt 45, 50 times, and they can't stop it whether or not they've got eight men in the box. <laughs> Probably so. Well, uh, I, I hope Derrick Henry touches it at least 25. I think uh, that is going to be a uh, big part of what needs to happen uh, for Alabama to win the football game, no question about it. But what about this, guys? I mean, what, what's, what's, the, what's the harm 
based on what you've seen uh, the nice Wanger kid do on special teams, uh, you know, making a pretty athletic play uh, coming out of the backfield versus Louisiana Monroe, uh, I personally don't understand, you know, maybe they've been saving this for this game. I hope so. But what's the harm in lining him up at fullback and letting him lead block? Oh, I would all day. Henry? Oh, I, I, that's that, I would that's been the biggest because, mystery to me. Because I think Derrick Henry looks more comfortable following a fullback, and I would do it all day, help him clean up the trash and lead Derrick through the holes, and uh, I would I would uh, give him a nice little uh, – a dose of nice wonder, no doubt about it. I agree. Let me ask you this, because y- y'all know a lot better than I do. What what classification is he grade wise? Is he a sophomore, junior, or senior? Michael is a nice fifth wonder. year senior. Yeah, fifth year oh, senior. Okay. Yeah, that, the reason that, he has a fifth a, year, William, he was ready to graduate, go out into the business world, and they put him on scholarship uh, if he'd come back. So he did come back. He wasn't even planning uh, ostensibly to be here this year, but they, you know, when they put him on scholarship, that changed his mind. That's the only reason he's here. He's a fifth-year guy, William, and I covered him back to his tenth-grade year as Hoover's tight end. So I've been following Michael for eight years now, and you won't find a better kid in the world. Well, and, and Kerry, that, that's that's the thing that, that just you know drives me insane. You know, I watch him, you know, kill himself on on kickoff coverage, breaking up the wedges. He's made some plays. You know, you saw him make a pretty athletic play, catching that pass and not losing his feet out of the backfield versus Louisiana Monroe. And this is what I don't understand because I've got some friends that live out in Los Angeles, you know, that tried to give me a heads up on the the maddening process of being a fan uh, of a team that Lane Kiffin calls calls the offense for. And, you know, I thought it was going to manifest itself last year with Jalston Fowler because he was a prototypical fullback. But they were like, listen, he was so – talking about Kiffin. He was so predictable, especially in the red zone um, when he was the head coach at USC. It was fullback up the middle, fullback up the middle, and on third down throw a pass to the fullback out of the backfield. Now, you know, when I see Nicewanger, I mean, he's a nice player. Um, he reminds me a lot of the kid – maybe two years ago that was uh oh god what was his name he was the the walk on h back uh Kelly Johnson. Kelly, Kelly Johnson Kelly Johnson I mean uh I just don't understand you know, there's such a uh, a prejudice out there now and it started back in oh five oh six when Sheila and Dave Rader um started trying to sell Alabama fans on the fact that you can't run student body right student body left anymore because of the speed of the linebackers, yeah, that's that's complete crap. You can still run that play if you've got a guy like like Nicewanger or Jalston Fowler or Kelly Johnston to open holes and seal those linebackers. And that's that's kind of the the frustration point to me is, it, you know, last year I thought Lane did such a perfect job of matching his offense to what his available talent level was, and. You know, I didn't expect, and you know, because I was like, after year one, I'm like, well, all these people at USC and and Tennessee lied to me. Um, you know, he, he does think outside the box, but now all of a sudden, it's kind of manifested itself in year two. You know, I, I just would really like to see, you know, Lane go back to that Wisconsin game plan that was simple, um, even though it was predictable. Um, that's a good football team that wasn't able to stop really what they wanted to do. 
And it, it's it's almost been like since that, that, you know, Saturday before Labor Day, you know, Lane's tried to outthink himself and, and the players that he's got at his disposal. And, uh, I, you know, William, I agree. I, I, uh, I, I, I've wondered why – once Nice Wonder came back and was on scholarship, I thought he would be uh, used at fullback more. Uh, I, Jalston had success under Kiffin. I mean, he did a good job the year before uh, under Nussmeyer. He, I think he caught five touchdowns out of the backfield. So, I thought he would be uh, – that Nice Wonder would have more of a role. He hasn't thus far. But, hopefully, they found some things uh, after – Monroe. Uh, when you the, the best drive of the game against Monroe, uh, they used Nice Wonder quite a bit as a blocking fullback. But I also wanted to ask you about Alabama's secondary. I mean, they've made some progress. I really think they're improving. Georgia, to me, uh, only has one dynamic receiver, uh, and that's Malcolm Mitchell. Though Isaiah McKenzie's a smaller guy, they, they've been, they've got, you know implemented him and started throwing him, the featuring him a little bit more. Uh, they're they're more of a tight end centric team with uh, obviously. Uh, with, uh, with with Jay Rome, uh, Jeb Blazevich, and uh, Jackson Harris. What are your thoughts on how Alabama's secondary matches up with Georgia? I think it matches up real well. And I think that, uh, you know, when you look at the youth back there, um, you know, you've got a guy like Ronnie Harrison that's, you know, screaming up on the scene. Obviously, Minka Fitzpatrick and, and Marlon Humphrey are, or guys that are getting better each week. Um, and I think they've actually played better than, than the production um, that's, that's, you know, been produced. You know, they had those those two miracle plays versus Old Miss that I'm sorry, I don't fault them for any either one of those. Um, you know, despite his size limitations, you can tell that the opposing teams really don't even want to waste their time throwing to Cyrus Jones' side of the field. Um I think it's going to be interesting going forward the rest of the season um, to see if, if Ronnie Harrison plays in front of Eddie Jackson. Does he play in front of Geno Smith? He's obviously a lot better athlete than both of those guys. Uh, but I think they've done well, and I think they've benefited from an improved front seven. You know, whether they're getting pressure on the quarterback, you know, whether they're batting balls down. I mean, I've seen more balls batted down in the first four games of this year and then going back to the A-Day game than I've seen in the last 20 years of Alabama football combined. You know, I think that's a, you know, a testament to Bo Davis and, and what he's, you know, teaching his, his defensive linemen to do against these, you know, three-step drop, uh, you know, throw quick pass offenses like you saw versus Old Miss and, and Louisiana Monroe was, um, you know, kind of a, a takeoff on that. Um, you know, Malcolm Mitchell doesn't scare me. Um, you know, he's a guy that's six foot, six foot one. I, I think the the wide receivers that Alabama's secondary in the last couple of years have struggled against are the Sammy Coates, the Duke Williams, the, the Laquan Treadwells that are, you know, six two, six three. And and I just don't see um, you know, wide receivers like that on Georgia's roster. Um, you know, they are a tight tight end heavy offense in the passing game and you know, understandably so. I mean, they've got three of the better ones in college football. Um, you know, two years ago, Jackson Harris, when he was coming out of Columbia High School in Columbia, Tennessee, um, was basically my number one guy um on my blue own personal recruiting board that I wanted Alabama to get because I thought he was the closest thing to 
Michael Williams and Travis was Travis McCall. Um, he was their equal, um, you know, as run blockers, um, as an inline tight end, but he was better than both of them as a pass receiver. I mean, he's got a little bit of Jason Witten in him in that aspect. But I just don't see um, that game changer at wide receiver for, for Georgia just because, you know, I think that, that you know, Minka Fitzpatrick and Marlon Humphrey um, are just as big and just as physical as, Al, as uh, Georgia's best wide receiver, Malcolm Mitchell. Interesting fact for you, William, about Michael Nicewander. Uh, his father is the Birmingham radio personality, JT, in the morning. Uh, so uh, that, that's something a lot of people don't know about Michael. Uh, but speaking of tight ends and H-backs and such, uh, do you feel, William, in the games you watched thus far this year off, do you feel that Dakota Ball has been a factor in helping to seal the edge? No, I don't. Um in fact, I think he's probably right up there with, with uh, Alphonse Taylor is a bit of a disappointment. Um, you know, I, I've seen him get overwhelmed at the point of attack numerous times. Um, I've seen him, you know, whiff on blitz pickups. Um, don't get me wrong, I think he's made progress as a player. But, you know, maybe he's lost some of his physicality, um, you know, in the last year and, and – you know, dieting down and losing weight to try and become a more full-time tight end. I, I do think O.J. Howard has made some improvements, um, you know, as a pass catcher. Um, but, you know, he's never going to be a guy that, that can line up across from a 275-pound SEC defensive end and, and win the majority of those battles. Um, so, you know, I still think when, when people talk about you know, the O-line struggles, I think they fail to realize, you know, in a pro-style offense, which I still think, you know, Alabama reverts back to at times, third and short, and, you know, in the last couple of games before Griffith came out of his shell, uh, making some kicks, um, that that's still a big, you know, a big struggle. Um, and, you know, maybe we all were – this is something that I've learned in the last 25 years – um, from watching this thing, um, I, I kind of equate O.J. Howard as the offense equation to Auburn's defensive tackle, Montrevious Adams. Um, both of those kids basically played 1A private school football in high school. And I think there's a longer learning curve there, um, especially with line of scrimmage guys. The further you get away from the line of scrimmage, I don't really think the small school curse is in play as much, and a guy that I know, you know, you and Drew will both remember this about, who had a long NFL career but never really established himself, you know, at Alabama um, despite all the recruiting hype, uh, Anthony Bryant. I just think that those small school guys, you know, Darren Lake is another one that fits into that category. You know, look how quickly Deron Payne blew past Darren Lake, you know, this, this fall. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, maybe despite the fact that O.J. Howard was 6'6", 240 pounds, and can run a 4'6", you know, maybe we all expected too much of him, you know, coming out of that small school league where he was blocking people a few times that he was asked to block. In high school, he was blocking, you know, 5'9", 150-pound defensive ends. So that that's something that I've had to kind of hit the rewind button for with myself is there's there's multiple examples year after year, uh, 
you know, in the SEC, you know, Montrevious Adams, O.J. Howard, Darren Lake, um, where, where these kids come from very, very limited backgrounds as far as the level of competition, and then they're thrust out there at the SEC level, and they're still, you know, two or three years away from being able to compete. And that's a great point, William. And, and to end the segment, and we appreciate you joining us again, as always, on BAMS Radio. We love the knowledge. You sound like you're very confident that Alabama's ready and, and can win this game. What is your prediction uh, for Saturday at 2.30 in Athens? You know, I think it's all going to come down to, you know, a couple of things. Um, I think, you know, what Georgia is going to try to do offensively, um, you know, unless Grayson Lambert has his, you know, Stephen Garcia or, uh, uh, you know, the quarterback from Oklahoma two years ago, his name escapes me. Trent Knight. Yeah. Um, you know, unless Trevor he Knight. has one of those Trevor Knight, thank you. Days, um, I really think that, that you know, they're going to try to line up and impose their will on this front seven. And, you know, I'll have to see it to believe it. I just don't think that they can do it for four quarters. And on the other side of the ball, um, then this kind of goes back to, you know, what Kerry said, bringing up the field goal kicker stuff. Um, you know, I think if Lane Kiffin, you know, devises a game plan, and, and incorporates what Jacob Coker is able to manage and do well. Um, you know, I expect by halfway through the third quarter, just like you saw versus Old Miss, you know, they had Old Miss's D-line gassed, you know, despite the five explosive plays that Robert Candici was able to make. You know, you saw him halfway through the third quarter sitting over there on the bench with leg cramps because um, they didn't have the depth behind him um, to substitute and keep him fresh, which Alabama does on their front seven. So it's really, in my opinion, it's going to come down to which quarterback manages the game better, doesn't make mistakes, and give the other team cheap opportunities at points. I just think that Alabama is deeper. Um, you know, the hostile environment has to be, um, you know, accounted for. But I just, I just have a feeling Alabama's – you know, got their backs up against the wall. They have to win this game, um, you know, to keep themselves in, in the SEC hunt and the playoff hunt. And I, I, I'm going to put my money behind Nick Saban and this team, um, considering all those circumstances. He's a proven, uh, you know, big game winner, much more so than Mark Rick is. A great points, William. And I uh, hope you're right on that prediction. I haven't felt great about the game all week, but – hoping Alabama does come out and play well and get a bit what would be a huge win on the road uh, for the, to get this team back on track. But we thank you, as always, for joining us on BAMS Road. We always appreciate the knowledge and insight, and I'm sure we'll have you on again soon. But have a great night, and, uh, again, thank you uh, for all the, uh, for the segments, and I'm sure the listeners loved it. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it, as always. Okay, thank you. That's William Redfish Barger, and uh, – we're going to go ahead and bring in another on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check them out on the web at bigheadsbbq.net. And that is our friend from the Quad Cities area of North Alabama, Jocelyn. Jocelyn, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you all doing? Hold tight. Hold tight. Go ahead, Jocelyn. What, 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 what's on your mind tonight? Um... All I have to say is going back to what um, William was talking about a while ago, 
I think that um, the game against Georgia Saturday, I think it's going to be – I'm guessing it's probably going to be a close game, but it's also going to be intense, I think. And I think uh, – I agree with William. I say that if, if Alabama um, really does come ready to play and everything, then, you know, we'll have no problem against Georgia. And it may happen. I mean, uh, it just depends on how they play. Uh, this team is talented enough uh, to do that to the Bulldogs. Uh, they just have not been able to string together an entire football game. Uh, you know, the closest they came was against Wisconsin, but even then uh, there were some guys that had not been in a big-time game before. Uh, now that, you know, some of these young guys in secondary, like William mentioned Ronnie Harrison being a better athlete than, you know, Matthias Smith and also – uh, Eddie Jackson, he's now more comfortable. He's coming off his best game. I'm going to be really interested to see what role he plays Saturday. And uh, Alabama, if, if this defense is going to go down as a special win, uh, they need to find a way to win this game. And then Jake Coker uh, needs to channel his inner John, inner John Parker Wilson and uh, have the game of his life. As uh, John Parker, in my opinion, played his best game in a crimson uniform uh, in 2008 in the blackout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that game. So. That's all I. Well, that's all I've got for tonight. Well, that was good. I, we appreciate you calling, Jocelyn. It's always you, good to hear. Always good to hear from you, and always good to hear from everybody up there in the two five six. Uh, so anyway, what we'll do is uh, we will give our predictions, all three of us, uh, before the show is over with. But that will be in hour number two. Uh, for now. We're going to take our one and only break of the evening. You are listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family.
Tucker out of Philly had a nice long talk. But he's a headed west from the Cumberland Gap to Johnson City, Tennessee. I got, I got a move on beat for the sun. I hear my baby calling my name and I know that she's the only one. And if I die in Raleigh, at least I will die. Welcome back into BAM's radio. It's five minutes after the hour. I don't care where you are. If you're listening live, it's five minutes after your hour. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark, with BAMAMag.com, joined as always by Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, back in our studio, and also uh, joined up at the 256 by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone. So we're now into hour number two of Georgia Week. We've had a lot of opinions come in about the game already. We'll give ours later on this hour. But first of all, a man who never is short on opinions, uh, arguably our most loyal caller here for the last year or so, from Greenville, Alabama, in the 334. The only area code not represented yet tonight, but now it is. Colin Big C. McGuire, what is Roll Tide, man, ready to beat the Bulldogs, man. You think we will? Yes. All we got to do is make sure we don't turn the ball over like we did the other day, uh, other night against another Ole Miss. Wow. I wish I felt that good about it. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear you feel good about it, man, because you, you definitely know more about it than I do. But uh, it's right, certainly me possible. Question. All right, let me ask you a question. A friend of mine pointed this out, right. I agree with who has Georgia played? Well, that's a great point. I think the best team they've played is probably South Carolina, and I don't even know if South Carolina's going to a bowl this year. That's a very valid point. Uh, I guess what bothers me, Big C, is Jeremy Pruitt knows how to attack our offense. Uh, we have not shown the ability all year to pick up the blitz, and so he's going to bring the house. And uh, we've got a quarterback that's never had to go on the road and win a big game in the SEC could it happen? Yes. Uh, am I optimistic my own self? No. But we'll get more into that later on in the hour when we, when we do some predictions. Uh, we'll give some specifics at that time. But, I mean, you know, anything's possible. You would think that a team that has five straight number one consensus recruiting classes would be able to go on the road and, and win a game like this. But the SEC is so crazy these days. I mean, you may think you have a game wrapped up and all of a sudden – Three guys converge and take stupid tackle angles, and you lose a game like Tennessee did. So I, it's just road games are crazy in this league. And uh, yeah, does Alabama have do the players to go in there and do it? Yeah, they do. But having the players to do it and doing it two different things. I I tell you what, I hope <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. Well, uh, just have to wait and see. I just never give up hope. And you know, and this is the first time they've been an underdog in 72 games. That's pretty amazing, know, man. And that last time worked out pretty good in Atlanta against Tebow. Yep, that's right. So we'll just have to wait and see. But, I mean, they, I think we can run on them. I just run on them. I mean, I don't think we need to try to pass that much. I, 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 was in, I mean, I don't know how much we can run on them, but, I mean, I think um, I think we've gone a little too crazy now against Ole Miss. When we lost them, we had to throw the ball because we got 
got down where you had to do something to get back in the game. But, I mean, I think – don't get me wrong, I think Lane Kiffin's a good uh, offensive coordinator, but I think we've gone, uh, gone a little crazy over throwing the ball sometimes too much. I mean, like the other day against uh, uh, Middleton – I mean, against uh, – my brain's thinking. It's not Who's Leon Monroe? Yeah, them. Why do you throw a pass on third and two? How about how about this? Why, when it say third and nine, do you throw a six yard pass? Oh, well, that's a good question too. It's confounding, yeah. man. But I want to do a, a a little bit of a big C flashback. I, I know that during the time that you were manager, Alabama didn't actually play Georgia, but they did when you were a student. To set it up. Uh, your freshman year of college, my senior year of high school, Alabama went over to Athens and and just got that ass whooped. It was, I believe, twenty-one to nothing in nineteen seventy-six. Yeah, I was, Alabama at Man, I was still at Man Institute, but I was listening to it on the I, way. I know. Uh, same here. I was laying in my bed in Stone Mountain, Georgia, listening to it. But the next year, when you were a sophomore at Alabama and I was a freshman at Alabama, tell yeah. us what you remember about that nineteen seventy-seven game against Georgia at Bryant Denny. They didn't play good that day. And the uh, thing was, I remember, all right, they opened up the season against Old Miss, beat them, lost to Nebraska the second game of the year. Played Vanderbilt the following weekend, didn't play that well. And then they played Georgia, and you would have thought with them losing to them 21 to nothing that uh, uh, they would have blown them out, and they barely beat them. They beat them 18 to 10, and they even uh, – Ricky Tucker fumbled a punt. He was a true freshman, fumble punt, and then a few plays later, he intercepted the pass to go from gut to hero. But like the offense didn't play that well that day. They moved, you know, they moved, they moved the ball a lot, but they got a safety. I don't think how they did this. Kicked, uh, got a touchdown, and kicked several field goals. Just uh, uh, can't had all added up, but it wasn't. And I remember the night after that game. I was saying, heck, we're going to beat Southern Cal next week. Well, we're going to get the hell beat out of them. That's what everybody was saying. Guess what? Went out there and beat the number one ranked team in the nation by one point. Shit, I almost let them off the mat, but they had them down at one point, 21-6. But they didn't really play that well against Georgia the following year. I mean, after the bat, after the debacle the year before, Georgia ended up going five and six that year. Yeah, I was really looking to see about Ricky Tucker. I thought I remembered him getting an interception, and I thought I remember so that was pretty cool. Cause, yeah, and I thought well, that was pretty cool because number eighteen got the clinching interception, and Alabama scored eighteen points. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's pretty uh, pretty good. What that happened that happened there, you know. So I mean, it's just. Uh, I think the main thing is Alabama don't need to turn the ball over like they did against Ole Miss. Because I think if they don't do that, they got a real good shot to beat them. I'm of the opinion that Alabama don't ever need to turn the ball over. Oh, they don't need to. <laughs> well, I mean, I agree with that. But, I mean, uh, it's like a friend, several friends of mine said, if we don't help the other team, we'll win. And uh sort of did that that night, uh, the other night uh and they said Alabama, and I'm looking at something right now while we're talking, said Alabama might, may have the only defense built to eliminate uh, Nick Chubbs. We'll have to wait and see. Oh, by the way, speaking of that, I'm glad I saw this. The same friend that made the comment about we don't help anybody will win, he heard on, uh, it was Cole Kublik mentioned this, 
I think it's the last 16 games. Alabama's played 12. Let's see how many games we played. No, 14. The last 18 games. And he, I don't know where he got this from, but he made the comment, the opponents between the guard and the center, you know, running the ball, you know, between the guard and the center up the middle, they've only, the opponents in the last 18 games, I think that's right. Yep. It's only made one 10-yard run. Now, like when uh, the guy from Ohio State made the long run uh, for the touchdown in the Sugar Bowl, he went off tackle, but he's talking about going right straight up the middle between the guard and the ta- uh, center, between the right and left guard center, you know, guards in the center. The opposing team's only made one run of 10 yards in the last 18 games. Strong stuff. Yep. Who was that? Big was that C. Or yeah, that's me, Big C. I'm, I'm back. I just wanted to, I, I just wanted to let you know. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I had Murph Baldwin. Uh, I recorded an interview with him today about, and uh, you're talking about the stories that he wrote about the Alabama Georgia game, about the uh, Alabama run defense against the Georgia OL, and then of course about how what the Georgia defense could do to Jake Coker, but. I mean, I also had the pleasure of interview, helping interview Gene Stallings earlier tonight, and Coach Stallings basically uh, reiterated what you're talking about. He said that he would roll Coker out quite a bit, uh, give him one or two options, of course, and uh, if, they, if they weren't open, just throw it out of bounds, but hopefully a steady die to the running game, and the, the running uh, and the game plan should revolve around the two backs. And I know he was talking about uh, Kenyon Drake and, of course, Derrick Henry. In my opinion, they need to have uh, almost 35 to 40 touches combined uh, and get 220 all-purpose yards and reach the end zone three times. They need to involve Drake Moore as a receiver. We've all been perplexed why that hasn't happened. Well, I remember y'all, I remember Kay making a comment. Do you, how much do you think um, Bo uh, Scarborough played this week and he's eligible to play? William thinks uh, that – that uh, Bo will be uh, in the game plan as an H-back. Uh, he practiced at H-back today, maybe in the slot. Uh, you know, I'm not sure he'll carry the ball, but I do think he could have a small role as a receiver. He's someone that Georgia hasn't game planned or seen any film on, so it could be to Alabama's advantage. Right, sorry to say that one more time again, big man. No, I just, you know, Bo Scarborough hasn't played, and uh, it yeah. could be – uh, you know, to Alabama's advantage because, you know, that, uh, William thinks they're going to uh, involve him as a receiver more in the slot and as an H-back. And he talked about it could be dangerous on the three levels because you, you could send both Scarborough short, uh, 10 to 15 yards down the field, O.J. Howard, and then deep Calvin Ridley. And he said he would run it over and over and over again uh, because it's going to be nearly impossible to stop. Mm. That's interesting. That was William Barger made that comment. Is that what you say? Yeah, he, he just did it on the show. Ah, that's interesting. You listened to the first hour. You've known that, Big C. Say it again. Well, yeah. I was, you know what I was doing in the first hour? Saban was on this golf channel station. I was watching that. That was real good. Oh, okay. Well, I'll take that. Uh, how was that? It was really good. The guy, I've never seen that show before because I'm not into golf, but I like the guy that's interviewing me from England. The yeah, golf, David Parity. He's pretty funny. Did anything stand out about that interview? I'm sorry, say that again. 
Did anything stand out to you about the interview? Mm. Well, well, I don't know because he's, I sort of heard the same thing over and over, but I, the thing was I, I was impressed with was uh, the area where it was at, Lake Burton. Um, that was a pretty impressive <laughs> area, and like where they were interviewing at was underneath the a canopy on top of a hill, and you can see the lake in the background. That was a pretty view. Oh, yeah. I've, um, I've got an aunt that lives up in that area. Um, she's one of the few Bama fans that lives up there. She actually lives kind of between Lake Burton and uh, Lake Rabin, but it's all in Rabin County. That, that part of Georgia is just absolutely beautiful. You're right about that, Big C. It's pretty. Yeah, and I hope. Yeah, I didn't tape it, but I hope somebody puts it up on YouTube or something. I'm sure I'll be able to. Oh, they will. It. You you know they will. Hell yeah, that was pretty. That's I enjoyed it. And I mean, and they even went to his house though and wrote. And I've never seen him on his boat before. He was out on his boat, was riding around on the lake. That was pretty neat. Made some interesting comments about Lane Kiffin. Like what? Well, I mean, like you know what. Well, this was good, and it made a lot of sense. And I'm like, it's a, you know, it was a controversial hire. Are you hiring him? And all that. And said, well, I didn't know his issues as head coach. I hired him as an assistant. We already got his head coach. And he made an interesting wow. comment about, oh, this was, and I think he might have said this before, but it just sort of resonated more. And now it's like when they when he hires coaches, he wants them to run what he wants to run, not like he said, sometimes when you hire an assistant, they want to do their own thing. And you said when you're the head coach, you can't let them do their own thing. You got to, you know, let they got to run what you want to run. And I'm wondering if he might have been making a reference or maybe of a couple, uh, maybe of a team somewhere in this state that's what he's sort of hinting at on that possibly. Well, maybe he was talking about how he should have took more control of the offense himself back in the Sugar Bowl, first and ten on the 27th, throwing a stupid-ass pass. Maybe he's talking about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, maybe so. I don't know. Don't know. Me neither, man. But when I watch it, if I figure it out, I'll let you know. Okay. Uh, what else you got? Speak? Well, tell, tell us something good, man. I mean, talk to me. Okay, I'm trying to. I'm just thinking. I just feel good about it because Alabama's uh, everybody's dogging them, and I know right now they're not playing. At times they're not playing well, but things can happen. And maybe like what William said that they're going to do that. I think I, do, I seriously believe this. I think Bo, uh, Bo Scarborough is going to be so, uh, be an element of surprise Saturday, in my opinion. And I think I think you're going to see that quarterback that's for them. He's going to he's going to get harassed Saturday. Somehow or another. Uh, he, he's definitely going to see the best defense he's seen probably in his life. So, uh, I mean, there may be a comparison or two to something he played against when he when he played for uh, Virginia against Florida. Florida, State. yeah, Florida State. Florida State. State. That might be it. But other than that, there's no way he's seen anything this athletic. Uh, no. I, it's a tough game to call, man. It really is. Well, I thought it was interesting that William wasn't impressed with Georgia's offensive line. So. I know I know Murphy has been, a lot of people have been, but uh, we'll see. I mean, they, they aren't the biggest, so Alabama should have that advantage. You know what will happen oh. if Georgia loses? They'll, they'll start talking about how they're missing Will Friend. Where's Will Friend coaching at now? He's in Colorado State with Bobo. Yeah, he's Bobo's offensive coordinator, Big C. Oh, no wonder why he left. 
Well, they might not. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a, it's like my, it's going to be a tough game, but I just like my friends. That they ain't play no damn body. Oh, that's a good point. And, and, and then I think but like, they got a, they got a lot of talent though. Make no mistake about uh-huh. it, they got a lot of talent. Well, Nick Chubb needs some blocking. If he gets if his offensive line gets the hell beat out of him like Barger thinks he is, he ain't gonna be running very far. I hope that's how man, it goes. All right, let me ask y'all this now, I'm thinking this. Now, do you think the coach at Virginia is an idiot or do you think this Lambert guy that's playing for him now just wasn't that good at the time when he was at Virginia? What is I mean, all of a sudden he's starting and doing real well at, at, at Georgia. What is, does, do you see anything there or, or not? I mean, because he didn't even he, – was he not even a starter there last year for them? He started for a little bit over a year, B.C., but I think one thing, too, I don't think they, they put the talent around him that he didn't have anybody close to Nick Chubb and Tony Michelle around him or Georgia oh, yeah. on the offensive line. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Virginia's not exactly – uh, uh, a powerhouse in football or somewhere. If I was a highly sought after player, that wouldn't be a place I'd have as one of my five or six choices to go to. True. But now, Edgar Allan Poe went there. Oh, well, yeah, he was a drunk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, now let me ask you this now. Uh, now, one thing I do like that came out Saturday, that the field goal kicker all of a sudden hit two in a row. Now, he's on the streak of three in a row after going 0-4 at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and you know, the one he made against Ole Miss was kind of ugly, but the two he made against La Monroe, Adam Griffith, they said they made a correction on his plant foot. And uh, whatever he's doing different, he needs to keep doing it because the ball is drawing better toward the inside of the uprights. And uh, uh, there's never any question too much about the distance, but the accuracy was the problem. And if he has his confidence back and it's for real, uh, he could be a huge factor going forward in this season starting Saturday. Now, let me ask you this. Now, I'm still a little puzzled with the punter having one. He shanked another one the other day. What do you think? Do you think he's still not dropping it right or not? I don't understand this time a year ago, he was booming it all over the place, and that just seemed like he sort of. Because I know a few of those punts he couldn't kick him because he didn't, if he tried to kick him as hard as he could, they'd be going up in the stands. But I mean, still, like that 18 yarder he had the other day was it still sort of bothers me. Well, he has been inconsistent, Big C, and uh, they usually say it's with his drop. But I thought he improved, you know, as the game went on. Hopefully, mm-hmm. he'll be consistent Saturday because. He could play a huge role, uh, no doubt about it, uh, in the game as far as field position uh, if it's a close game. But, again, I I still think he's going to show but surely a round into form. Hopefully, you know, uh, Alabama is, is going to play a clean game, and that's the key. If they can keep from turning the football over, uh, you know, if they can – you know, I, I, you know Georgia has the edge and special teams going into the game, but for a 60-minute game, anybody – can win, you know, and Alabama's talented enough. All it takes is one solid four-quarter effort. Uh, they can win this game. You know, I picked Georgia on Tide 9-9-1 yesterday. Took some heat for that on Ryan Fowler's show, 24-17. But, you know, I'm hearing some things tonight coming from very close to the team, like their mindset. Uh, and I did say that, that Alabama could still easily win the game. And uh, it would be a, a huge uh, statement uh, to go into Athens, Georgia, 
and win what is probably the game of the day along with Clemson and Notre Dame. But let's, that's not even real football. Let's not even go there. So Georgia-Alabama is, is is the game of the day, and it would be a huge statement for Alabama. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I don't know what else to contribute to the show. I hope I've been somewhat of a good contributor. I want to let you know that I'll be having my Talking Bama with Big C show on tomorrow at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'll give you my prediction on there. And I'll be doing the history of the series and stuff like that. That would be good. I'll, I'll tell them I didn't listen to that. Go www.jockjive.com between 7 and 8 Central Daylight Time tomorrow. No, Central Time. Daylight, yes, Daylight Time. Central Time's coming out in a few weeks. And you can watch it live. Now, you can go to Archive, but what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to subscribe for a whopping $8.99 a year, which is 75 cents a month, a nickel a day on average. And you can watch that show or any other show on jockjive.com at your at your pleasure and when at your convenience for only eight ninety nine a year. But that's what we got going on tomorrow. And on Friday we'll have you on there, big money. That's right. I'm gonna get them all upset at me Friday. Okay, well that's fine. <laughs> well no, you sort of sound like you <laughs> What now? <laughs> The odds and greed will be liking me this value for the first time ever. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. Although, no matter how bad it gets in Tuscaloosa this year, it's not going to be anywhere near what that dumpster fire in Lee County is going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's going to be better than you think. You sort of sound like you're pessimistic right now, big man. But. I think I'm about this game. I, I just think, think between A and M and Georgia that I'm gonna win them both. <laughs> but anyway, I just think between Georgia and A and M they're gonna lose one of them. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. I don't. I'm not. I'm impressed with A and M. I mean, Arizona State's not that good. I know they look impressive against them. Arkansas. I don't know what happened the other night. They gave them two. They had two turnovers and all that. Dude. They outrun. They run the uh, ball on people. People acted like Arkansas's best running back getting hurt wasn't going to change their record at all. So we'll just plug somebody else in. What bull crap? No, it don't work like that. You know they were an eight and five team to start with, and one of the best players got hurt. So sorry. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be surprised if Tennessee doesn't doesn't put it on. Right? Tennessee may. Tennessee seems cursed. So they may find a way to lose the Arkansas game, but in, in my mind right now, Tennessee is going to put it on Arkansas. I think I think Arkansas is even more cursed than Tennessee. Well, I, you'd have loved Gene Stalling tonight, Kerry, because he thinks Tennessee's cursed. He didn't say that, but he likes dogs. I do too. Maybe I think Tennessee. They, you know why I think? You know why I like Arkansas this weekend? Because all these why? fans from Tennessee is calling up there and bitching about Doug. I mean, Butch Jones. About this and that, they need to keep the damn mouth shut and pull for the team. Because if you remember, I do you remember? I'm 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 going to give you an example. All right, do you remember the first year Saban was at Alabama and we beat Ole Miss and there was a controversial call at the end of the game and it went our way. And all you heard that whole next week was the Ole Miss fans were just bitching and complaining about that call. We should have won it. They got we got screwed out of it. Well, 
and they were playing Arkansas next week. And if I had a thousand dollars, I would have put a thousand on Arkansas that day, and would have won going away. They beat ten, they beat um, Ole Miss that weekend, forty-four to eight. You never know. Let me tell you what happened at Tennessee, Big C. And, and, and these guys both resemble the comparison I'm fixing to make. What Tennessee found out was when you fire a private pile and hire Sergeant Carter, it really isn't that much of a promotion. <laughs> so you think he's a Sergeant Carter? Is that what you're saying about Butch Jones? Well, they, they, call, him, they call him that because of his haircut. But then when you go back and look at Derek, he's got a little gong running. <laughs> That's funny, man. Right. I know it. I know it. And it was against the University of Tennessee when Georgia made a great comeback in Knoxville. And the Larry Munson saying, uh, we just stepped on their throat with a hobnail boot came about. So yeah, broke gonna, their nose. We're going to go and broke their nose. So we're going to go ahead and give you the hobnail boot, Big C. But please call us back next week. Roll time. Thank you, Big All C. Right, wait Roll time, brother. Wait a minute. Say that again. What's that now? Bye, Felicia. Bye-bye. So, yeah. uh, the lag killed me. Uh, I was it was it was a delayed hobnail. <laughs> a late oh, hobnail. I've seen him play like a champion on Twitter. I think we can take this call. Go ahead and uh bring him in live to Bams Radio with Kerry Drew and Thomas. Play like a champion. Welcome to Bams Radio. What's going on guys? Great show tonight. Really enjoyed it as always. Thank you, man. I'm sitting here trying to rack my brain for questions because really fish covered everything that I wanted to discuss. But one thing to just just to ask personal opinion, what you guys think about? Um, to me, Coker has a cannon of an arm, and yet every time we throw the ball deep, it never works out. Either he throws short. Timing's off. Something's going on. What do you guys think the deal is there? Because to me, with the arm he's got, we ought to be able to do some play action passes. We ought to be able to do the old flea flicker, something to throw a deep pass to this guy. But so far, it's not working out. Well, you know, I I just think right now, Lane has not been patient enough with the play calling. Um, I think that Jake Coker, he has a big arm, but he's not super accurate with the deep ball. They need to be attacking the middle of the field, seam routes, 20-yard throws. He seems to throw the ball well on rollouts. You saw the – even though Damian Harris missed a block last week against Louisiana Mo, you saw that bullet he threw to Ardarian Stewart, who finally decided to run the right route and catch it. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, you know, I, you know, I, I just really believe – that that's the way they should use his arm. They didn't throw a tough. They threw three deep balls against Wisconsin. I don't blame them for throwing a few to, to back up the secondary, but don't try it on a first down. It's almost like a predictable deal with Lane this year. Throw the ball deep. Throw the ball deep. Hey, news to you, Lane. Amari Cooper is gone. The Andrew yes. White is gone. Get a clue. Use the running backs. Use the tight end. Uh, fit the game plan around what they do best and stop trying to put your hands up every time and call a touchdown because half the time 
your wide receivers aren't running the right route, and the other time they're dropping the dang football. So let's in, let's use the backs and the tight ends, then let the wide receivers like Calvin Ridley, who can actually make a play every now and then, uh, get involved and uh, and then stretch the field that way, twenty to thirty five, twenty five to thirty yards down the field. You don't have to 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 uh, go deep, you know, six five six times a game because all it's been basically is a punt and they've turned the football over because either the wrong routes run or Coker doesn't throw a good ball. But, I mean, I just think they need to kind of chunk that out, take a shot or two, but I think Lane's been too in love with the deep ball. Blake Sims was good at it, and he had, you know, the best receiver in college football catching it, had another pro on the other side, and DeAndre White. Well, those guys aren't kind of walking through that door. So how about let's utilize what you got, stop blowing games, and get this team going back in the right direction. It almost seems like sometimes Kiffin calls it just to show Saban that Coker can't throw it. He's trying to sell the fact that Kiffin wants Bateman to be the quarterback. Not that Bateman can throw it, but sometimes well, then, then like... Kiffin needs to get his ass on the road. That's my last thing on that. <laughs> well, he will in January. He, hashtag, he gone. He won't be he back. Gone. That's a done deal. He gone. Well, that's another thing that you guys are pointing out that I've not really heard a lot of people say that I've thought as well. Okay, Coker's not looking great, but, you know, the, the three or four of us, that's, you know, talking right now, could probably hit some deep throws if I got Amari Cooper out there. I mean, it, it makes your job a whole lot easier when you got a guy that can go out there and make the secondary look through the slot. But like the man's still doing right now in the NFL. Um, one more question, just hypothetical, just while we're trying to find things to discuss. Fish um, kind of hit on a little bit with Bo Scarborough and, you know, I'm excited to see the guy get out there and potential that he's got. He talked about using him in the slot and using him as a wide receiver. Just from your own opinion, what do you expect to see from him? Uh, do you think he'll get any uh, carries the ball, uh, running the ball, not just receptions? Yeah, play like a champion. I think he, he – I'm not sure he'll carry the ball. I think he may be uh, used as a receiver. I think this needs to be, you know, Derrick Henry's uh, time. I mean, uh, they're talking about Leonard Fournette being better than Herschel Walker, and Leonard is a freak. I think he's the best player in the country. Um, you know, I think that uh, Nick Chubb is a great player, but if you notice, there's only been a little bit of buzz about Derrick Henry. Well, he has a chance if Lane Kiffin will use Michael Nicewander and feed him the ball uh, that he can have a breakout game and have, you know, have a – a 120, 130-yard game against a quality opponent, get in the end zone a couple of times, and he will be right back among the elite in the country. And, and like Todd McShay, who picked Alabama, said on ESPN Radio and uh, all, on the Feinbaum show today, he said that, you know, Derrick Henry at times looks really good, and at times he doesn't look like he wants to slam it up in there. Well, this is a big-time uh, opportunity for Derrick Henry. And what I don't hear any of the any, uh, any of the writers going back and referencing because – None of them follow recruiting closely enough to remember is who was Derrick Henry committed to for such a long time? Georgia. Yep, exactly. So nobody's mentioning that. But one other aspect that uh, I mentioned to Murph Baldwin, and Murph uh, admitted uh, on the interview that he's like, man, I hadn't even thought about that aspect. But another reason why I haven't been as confident in Alabama and their chances is guess who knows Jake Coker like the back of his hand and watched him practice every day. Hmm. Pruitt. Yeah, good point. Good point. At Florida State. Yeah, I mean, Pruitt knows our, our uh, team this season. He's on the staff and everything like that. 
that's a good point. But anyway, uh, it's going to be a great game. I, I really feel like that um, we've got the opportunity to come in here and prove a lot of people wrong. I hope that's what we do. And everybody's looking right now and thinking, man, it's all over. Dynasty's crumbling, all this bull crap. And, uh, you know, I hope they really had the right mindset. I, I think it really boils down to does Kiffin have his head on straight and call the kind of game that will put us in a position to win the game? And can we hold on to the ball? If we do those things, I really think we'll pull out a victory. It's going to be a close one. But uh, I'm going to run, guys. It's been a great show. Thanks for having me on. Real tight. Real tight. like a champion. Thank you. And uh, I agree. He comes down. I said it would come on. It would be on Lane Kiffin's shoulders against Ole Miss. He was a colossal flop. Well, let's see if he can uh, can recover. And uh, he was a, he did a great job last year. I'd give him a C minus to a D this year. Let's see if he can up that grade this coming week. And of course, he can't hold on to the ball for him. Uh, they have to protect the football. Jake Coker has to, and then of course the backs and the receivers and the skilled guys. So let's see what happens. We will, and uh, we'll make our predictions uh, toward the end of the show. But for now, we're going to take a brief pause away from football and talk a little basketball recruiting on a very recent interview that Drew DeArmond did with Garrett Tucker, and I'll let Drew kind of introduce this piece. Yes, uh, uh, Garrett Tucker's a great friend of mine based in Huntsville, Alabama. He's part of HoopScene.com and also has the Garrett Tucker, G. Tucker Hoops Skills Academy, and uh, I, I go to him a lot for basketball recruiting. He talks to a lot of kids, sees a lot of kids play, has a lot of connections with assistant coaches, around the country, and uh, we were discussing, uh, and he had spoken with Armand Davis, Alabama's latest commitment uh, in basketball from Southern Idaho Junior College, uh, and of course Armand is rated as one of the top five junior college players in the country. Uh, go watch his YouTube film. I put it up on my Twitter feed. It's tremendous. Uh, uh, you know, a few days ago, uh, very athletic, and we, had, we discussed Armand Davis and, of course, we know that they have Terrence Ferguson committed. And then we discussed the future of uh, this recruiting class in 2016 and, and what Avery Johnson could ultimately put together. Garrett, how are you? Oh, doing pretty well, Drew. How about yourself? Doing well, man. And uh, I know you got a chance to speak with Armand, and uh, he uh, and kind of he broke down the reasons that he committed. And i got to give you credit. Uh, you had your ear to the ground last Saturday when he came in on his official visit and you were one of the first to tell me that Alabama had really surged with this young man and there was a very good chance uh, that they were going to add him to the fold. It didn't happen on the weekend, uh, but it did happen uh, this week. And uh, and they had to kind of uh, dodge a little bit of a late Texas offer. I know Texas got involved with him, but a big get for Avery Johnson, and it's going to bring some much-needed shooting and athleticism to the backcourt. Oh, yeah, definitely, and you're right. It was kind of a little a wild rodeo to an extent. Um, for those that don't know the story behind Armand Davis, um, a few weeks ago he was at Memphis for an official visit, and he committed um, committed to Josh Pastor and the Tigers while there. Um, he said he kind of got pressured into his commitment, wanted to step back and you know kind of reevaluate things. And then um, after his visit concluded um, in Tuscaloosa, Saturday, uh, Saturday night, uh, he came, you know, came to Twitter and said that he was gonna, uh, you know, announce his decision soon. And uh, you know, the next day came came around for his decision. Um, Texas came in and offered. And there was really probably a lot of other schools that offered too, but Texas was the big, 
um, you know, the big school that really could had a chance to sway him. But in the end, um, Avery Johnson, um, assistant coach Antoine Petway, they did a great job recruiting him, um, and they got things uh, nailed down and everything. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, a big, another big recruit for Avery Johnson in his first year on the job and everything. And kind of tell everyone, uh, you, you you do a great job of studying recruiting uh, uh, on the basketball uh, front, and uh, you know, uh, you, and you evaluate these prospects. And, and uh, just first of all, kind of tell everyone about his size and the skill set that he's going to bring uh, to the Capstone. Yeah, uh, you know, he's a six six um, shooting guard, wing type. Um, I, I, I've talked to a lot of people, and they rave about his scoring ability. Um, you know, he can shoot it from a variety of ways, uh, all over the floor, um, hits the three, shoots it off the dribble, can get to the rim. Um, but a lot of thing, uh, one thing that really gets the loss of the shuffle is his um, athleticism and bounce. Um, that's mm-hmm. one thing that a lot of we take, take for granted sometimes with this guy. He's a, you know, a sleeper athlete. Um, he's definitely going to be, you know, he, he's going to score it and get to the rim and everything. But his athleticism will definitely um, entertain fans and everything, too. And, I mean, getting Armand Davis and to go along with Terrence uh, Ferguson on the wings, um, you know, that's that's going to be an exciting uh, duo for Alabama fans to watch. And a lot of people are forgetting um, Memphis transfer Nick King coming in, mm-hmm. too. Um, he's the guy that's getting lost in the shuffle. Um, those three right there, um, you know, they'll be uh, – big contributors from day one once they touch the floor and everything so uh, definitely it's going to be fun to watch you know especially those two on the perimeter really fill it up from deep and it really will and when you brought up the six foot six uh, Terrence Ferguson six foot seven uh, very long and athletic young men uh, and guys that project to the NBA because uh, you don't find too many you know six Six one, six two, six three, even six three, uh, two guards in the NBA, and this is going to uh, improve Alabama's uh, shooting and athleticism on the perimeter tenfold. The minute both these guys, uh, Terrence Ferguson and Armand Davis, report to campus, uh, uh, I guess we should say next May. Right, and um, you know, one thing that I think a lot of this is going to be different for Alabama fans is, um, you know, over the years Alabama's had a couple of, you know pros and NBA guys on their roster. I mean, you can go to Mo Williams, Gerald Wallace, um, even, you know, I, you know, you could throw in a couple of other guys in there. Alonzo G. Are, Alonzo G, right. And, but times are changing now. Uh, obviously, Avery Johnson is, is an NBA coach and everything, but now he's not only, you know, he's not getting just, um, you know, just average high school players to come in and just be average college guys. He's recruiting, um, you know, pro-style basketball players and guys that have a chance to go on to the NBA. Um, and that was really, um, you know, what kind of sold our mind. And, two, uh, you know, I've heard Avery talk about it whenever I was on campus for Alabama League Camp back in, uh, uh, back in August. You know, he's still going to play with a 24-second shot clock and they want to score fast within the first five seconds. So, um you know, the talent is definitely going to be there, and it's going to be a different look, um, not necessarily this year, I would say, but, um, you know, in the 2016-2017 year, um, you know, there's going to be pros on this roster, and, you know, things are just getting started, too, and that's the exciting part. And, and that's, that is a great point, Garrett, because uh, this is going to be his first full recruiting cycle in 2016, and as we all know, 
the state of Alabama and the senior class is not nearly as deep as 2017. There's really only considered one elite prospect, and that's Josh Langford here in Huntsville at Madison Academy. Uh, he's going to head to play for Tom Izzo in Michigan State. Uh, so there, there wasn't really the in-state guys for uh, Avery Johnson to recruit, even though he tried to uh, get Mr. Langford. But he's since gone on to, to uh, get the commitment of Terrence Ferguson and now Armand Davis, and it's proving uh, that he can not just recruit uh, as far as statewide and regionally, but he's got a national reach, and that a lot of it is because of what you talked about, his NBA background. Right. Um, Drew, you remember whenever uh, Avery got the head coaching job back in the spring and people were questioning his recruiting ability? Yeah, I don't um, think they're doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's safe to say uh, Avery Johnson knows a little bit about recruiting and he's getting it done. Um, you know, that, that's just funny to look back and laugh about people that, you know, question whether he can get it done on the recruiting trail. And, I mean, he go, get, goes and gets a top ten uh, high school senior and also, you know, like you said, a top five Juco prospect. Um, so it, it, he's definitely not hurting on the recruiting trail, that's for sure. He's really not. And, and speaking of that, they also had another big uh, official visitor along with Armand Davis last weekend. It, of course, we're talking about the Nashville prospect, the small forward, uh, the 6'8", uh, Braxton Blackwell, but now he's going by Braxton Key. And uh, Vanderbilt has always long been thought to be the favorite uh, for the local product to stay home. But uh, from what you were hearing last weekend, and I know throughout this week, it sounds as though Alabama made up a lot of ground uh, with Braxton Key. And now uh, there's I've even seen some crystal balls on 247 Sports uh, 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 predicting he will sign with Alabama. Do you have any more information on uh, his recruitment? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I, I swapped text with him um, before he got on his flight to head back to Oak Hill Academy in Virginia uh, mm-hmm. Sunday afternoon, and, you know, he raved about the Alabama visit, loved it and everything. Um, so Alabama definitely is in good position with him. Um, like you said, Avery Johnson made up a lot of ground uh, with him, and the addition of Bob Simon um, as an assistant coach was big there. Um Simon has a, had a great relationship with uh, Braxton from his days at Providence. Um, recruited him for a very long time. Uh, he actually, and I think I've mentioned this before, uh, Coach Simon was the lead guy on Jalen Lindsay, who is also from yes. Nashville and one of Braxton's uh, teammates. And he's at he's at Providence now. So um, you know, Coach Simon's done a really good job recruiting him, and um, yeah, they've definitely picked up a lot of ground. Um, I know I've said. Um, you know, to be thought, Brant Vanderbilt's been the leader for a long time. But from what I'm hearing now, uh, you know, Vanderbilt's kind of, you know, lost a little bit of a handle on things. And, uh, and, and you know, really, Alabama and Texas may be the teams to beat now. Um, he actually heads to Texas this weekend for another official visit. Um, but, yeah, it's going to I definitely think um, those three schools will be the main ones. I know he's visiting um, Kansas for their um, late night in the fog, uh, midnight madness later in October, um, but really I think, you know, we can say it's Alabama, Texas, and Vanderbilt, um, you know, like you said on the crystal ball, I, I, I swapped mine to Alabama, I think I was actually the first one to do it, and a lot of people have followed too, um, and, you know, Jerry Meyer and I, the director of scouting at 247, we talk a lot and everything, and we, we both kind of agree, you know, that Alabama's definitely in there, so, uh, it's going to be a little bit, I think, you know, we won't really expect a um, commitment or decision 
from Braxton until probably late October to early November and mm-hmm. coming up until signing day. Um, but, you know, Alabama is definitely in there for him, and he's one to watch. And he's a top 30 or 40 kid as well, uh, Garrett. And if you think about it, if, if they're able to get Terrence Ferguson, Armand Davis, uh, Braxton Key, and, uh, they're still in the running for Marquise Bolden of uh, DeSoto, Texas, who's the number one center in the country. Uh, Avery Johnson could sign a top five national class in his first full cycle, which would be huge. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, the one thing um, that when you look at just the heights and their positions on paper, um, like you said, Terrence Ferguson, Armand Davis, both of those, you know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, um, Braxton Blackwell, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and then you go to Marquise Bold, and, you know, he's pushing seven feet and everything. So, uh, you know, they're bringing in height and versatility. That's what all these guys have is play versatile and everything. So, but yeah, I mean, you talk about getting, even just getting one of Braxton Key or Marquise Bolden, um, you know, that, that would be very big. Obviously, getting both of them would be huge. Um, but, you know, for first, you know, for his first full recruiting year, um, getting one of those and having a top 10 class and then adding on a couple of other guys later, um, you know, I, I think, you know, they would be very happy with that. But obviously, you know, Avery, He's very um, driven to, you know, get players and everything. So um, I'm definitely, I mean, I'm not counting them out for either one. Um, Bolden's going to be very hard to get to. Kansas, Kentucky, um, you know, those blue buds right there. It's going to be hard to beat them. But, um, you know, he's already beat out uh, Kansas one time for Terrence Ferguson. So um, I'm sure Kansas fans would love it um, uh, whenever Marquise Bolden commits to Alabama if, you know, if that's the case, um, Kansas people will love it. But it's um, they're definitely on the right track and everything with what they have going on on the recruiting trail right now. No question. Well, Garrett, we always appreciate the time, man. We know it's busy for you and uh, always appreciate the info. Let everybody know, of course, uh, about uh, your Skills Academy and uh, where they can uh, read your stuff and catch you on Twitter. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at gtuckerhoops. And also follow Hoopsteen, um, Hoopsteen.com. Uh, well, that was Garrett Tucker of Hoopsteen. And a good interview there with Drew DeArmond and him uh, from a little earlier in the week. That's good stuff. Uh, by the way, Braxton Key is visiting Vanderbilt, his hometown team. He's been away from Nashville since he enrolled at Oak Hill Academy a few months back. But he's uh, acting like on Twitter. He's looking forward at least to getting home. We'll see how much ground Vandy's able to make up for him. Before we do our uh, predictions for the Georgia game, I need to give a shout out to the good folks over at Asian Rim here in Birmingham at the Colonnade Shopping Center. I was able to have lunch there today with a friend of this show, Paige Hockman, and we talked a little football and had some wonderful uh, shrimp appetizer uh, and also had their lettuce wraps. And a lot of people have had lettuce wraps at other restaurants in Birmingham. P.F. Chang's will be one of them. But i got to tell you, Asian Rim's lettuce wrap is up there with anybody you've tried. If you like lettuce wraps, you need to go to Asian Rim. If you like food, you need to go to Asian Rim. And Paige wanted me to pass this message along to our listeners uh, regarding the Asian Rim at the Colonnade Shopping Center in Birmingham. Please book your office Christmas party before October 31st at Asian Rim. And the person who books the party receives a $50 gift card to use on their next visit to Asian Rim. Now, this must be a party of eight or larger to receive the gift card 
But that's a pretty good hookup. If you book an eight or more person Christmas party at Asian Rim, you get a $50 gift card. Can't beat it. Well, how do you book that party, you may ask? Well, you can give the uh, catering staff over there at Asian Rim a call at 205-490-1444. That number again is 205-490-1444. That's the Asian Rim at the Calday Shopping Center right here in Birmingham, just off Highway 280. If you haven't tried it, if you like Thai food, if you like sushi, if you like chicken wings, if you like salad, if you like steak, if you like barbecue, they got they got something for everybody there. Give it a shot. That's Asian Rim at the Colonnade. And book your Christmas party with them again. If you book the party and it's eight people or more, you do it before the 31st of October, you get a $50 gift card. Can't beat that. 205-490-1444, Asian Rim at the Colonnade in Birmingham, Alabama. So always uh, good to see those good folks and uh, had a great, nice little lunch with Paige today. And uh, that brings us to uh, the fact that we got about six minutes left in the show so we're going to go around the horn, but before we do predictions, give us a kind of a encapsulated version, Thomas, of a, this hour's Georgia preview. Sure. It's a terrible matchup for the Georgia defense. Um, they're built for speed. Alabama, if they decide to go for power, will be able to find success. It's going to be a feast or famine thing because Georgia can use the speed to run a uh, – to run slants and twists and stunts and all that fun defensive line stuff, but it's still built for speed and running straight at a speed defense is the way to beat it. Uh, in terms of Alabama's defense, this is another terrible matchup for the Georgia Bulldogs. Alabama hasn't lost to a true pro style system since 2007. Yeah. 2002, the first Nick Saban's first season, uh, the Alabama defense is going to be able to play situational defense and, that's where the Alabama defense shines. They're going to get the right personnel for the right set of abilities. No, you know, the last time that I saw a team run out of a pro style set on Alabama was against Georgia with Todd was when they played Georgia in 2012 with Todd Gurley. Are they going to be able to do some of that? Sure. You don't bottle up a back as good as Nick Chubb. That's, that's just, that's silly in today's college football, but, Alabama has shown that they'll, they'll be able to maintain two-gap leverage. They did that against Wisconsin. Yes, Georgia's a better team than Wisconsin, but it's not magically far and away better. Uh, this, If people try and sell you on the idea that Georgia runs tempo, think about how many plays Alabama's run and realize that Georgia's run almost 60 less. Three or four games. Now, in Georgia's defense, they did have one game called early, but this George is a team that wants to run to set up the pass and nobody save the Georgia that I outlined in 2012 has effectively run on Georgia or has effectively run on Alabama. Excuse me. Since Nick Saban has been around Grayson Lambert is not a mobile quarterback. Just if you want to hit, hit you with some numbers, he has seven carries for three yards. So yeah, he doesn't really run. It's, it's just, it's a bad matchup. If Grayson Lambert was Johnny Manziel, Georgia would probably win this game by 25 points. But Grayson Lambert is not Johnny Manziel. Uh, it's going to be the weather's going to be really gnarly, and whoever can run on the other is going to be the, the group that wins. And given Alabama's front seven and the fact that if you really watch the ULM game, when Alabama decided to run behind Cam Robinson and Ross Piersbacher, they were damn near unstoppable. I think it's advantage Alabama. 
think it's advantage Alabama in the key areas. And the only wild card, and this sounds absolutely terrible to say, but it's the God's honest truth, the wild card is one Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin against Ole Miss showed a penchant to try and get too cute. Trying to get too cute in what will amount to a monsoon in Athens will get Alabama beat. Alabama. Too fired for Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Oh, uh, it it shouldn't be. It should be uh, Nick Saban hits him over the head with his playbook and just leaves him in the lock the visiting locker room. Yeah, I would leave him in Athens. Uh, I, it, it would be inexcusable because like it, it. Okay. Little soapbox. Then we can give predictions. I've grown up in Mobile, Alabama. I've lived through hurricanes my entire life. They don't. It's not just a raindrop. You're going to get an outer band of a hurricane in Athens. It's going to be wet, it's going to be windy, it's going to be gnarly, it's going to be hard to throw the ball, the ball's going to be slick. If, for some reason, Lane Kiffin comes out and starts throwing on first down, and it, it's going to go everywhere and bad things will happen. It's just Try to not, be cute, you mean. Try to be yeah. too cute. Yeah, yeah just it, turn off his headset. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's no other way to put it. If, if Lane Kiffin gets cute in this monsoon that's coming to Athens, I, I question his ability to have sharp objects around his house because that is a level of stupid that should never be allowed to reproduce. That's, that's how ridiculous that would be to me. But you have to hope that he is not as dumb as not dumb enough to do something like that. I have Alabama winning in a nail-biter. On Drew's show on Monday, I had it 31-27 Alabama. I think the... Uh, Weather is going to knock 10 points off both sides. I have Alabama winning 21-17. Drew? I, uh, I picked 24-17 on Tide 991 in Tuscaloosa yesterday. I'm encouraged by what I've by what I've heard about the mindset of the team and where they are. And Thomas is right. The weather is going to play a factor. Um, but until I see this team have a cohesive offensive game plan and, and, and if until they're able to – protect uh, the football. I still like the dogs. I'm not going to change my score prediction. I think 24-17 is about uh, about right, even in weather like that. So I just think it's going to be a defensive game, and uh, that I think Georgia might make another, a play or two more, but uh, I still pick 24-17 Bulldogs. And I'm going to go 24-20 Bulldogs. Uh, I, I, I want to be wrong. I really want to be wrong. I do, too. And, and granted, you know, Thomas was talking about a monsoon. If Kiffin gets out there and tries to be cute again, it's going to go from monsoon to shitstorm. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, I realize there's a chance Alabama can win the game because, like I said, oh, yeah. you've got a team with five straight number one recruiting classes. At some point, talent has to kick in. But talent alone, talent alone is not enough. There has to be a good game plan. And yes. based on what I've seen from Lane Kiffin, based on what I've seen, the limitedness of Jacob Coker – Jacob Coker has never started a conference road game in the SEC or any conference. And uh, while I did see some dramatic improvement in the form and the confidence and the execution of Adam Griffith, he really hadn't shown it on the road in the SEC with the exception of the one field goal in Baton Rouge to put the game in overtime. But before that, he had missed some very makeable ones. So I'm still a little concerned about that. Uh, I don't think the rain dramatically favors either team unless Alabama decides to run it down their throat. So, Long story short, I'm, I'm saying Georgia 24, Alabama 20 for the record, but I sure do not want to be right. 
I, I'm the same. I hope they play the best game of the season, put four quarters of good football together and show the college football world that Alabama has gone nowhere and that uh, they still uh, are going to be a national factor and, uh, and, of course, have a great chance to get back to Atlanta. And that's what uh, that they will have done if they can win in Athens, Georgia. And uh, hopefully this football team in every phase will step it up and do, that, and do so. And, Drew, before we close the show, I, I think we need to address this, even though it's going to be very brief. Mario Cristobal was not at the game last Saturday. What do we know about his status for this week? He is back. Everything is uh, good. Uh, the situation was handled. Very good. And uh, we have handled the situation for y'all for the past two hours here on BAMS Radio. We thank those of you who are listening live. We thank those of you who are listening via podcast. And uh, for my two co-hosts, Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, our producer, and for Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville, I'm Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, thanking you for joining us on BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Don't worry about our predictions. Just roll tide, everybody. Roll tide.